Hi, it's Richard from the Story Walk podcast. The Story Walk podcast is composed of real stories that I make up while I am out hiking, snowshoeing, skiing, and backpacking with my children. You may notice background noise during the podcast due to the real nature of recording these stories in the outdoors. The Story Walk podcast is supported by 10adventures.com. Go on 10 adventures to find great family adventures in over 60 countries on Earth. Imagine a family-friendly safari in the Serengeti, exploring Inca ruins in Peru, a cycling holiday on car-free roads in Germany, and many, many more great ideas. To find all the great family adventure ideas and to make memories that will last a lifetime, check out 10adventures.com family. Now, on to today's story. Today I'm going to tell the story of a mysterious man I met who was known as Monsieur Legato. I was living in London, England, right in the center of this incredible city, when one day I noticed the most peculiar man standing in front of my building. I looked at this man. He had the hairiest ears and biggest head of hair I had ever seen. He had a big nose and small spectacles that he was looking around at the world through. What made him most unique was not the bizarre clothing he was wearing, for he was wearing a purple suit, which I had never seen anyone wear before, and the most unique top hat but the fact that he was covered in what appeared to be croissant crumbs. I was not sure who this man was and looked at him warily. He looked back at me and said, Excuse me, do you live here? I looked at him. This strange creature was talking to me. What could he possibly want, I thought. I asked this man, I might or I might not. Why should I tell you? You're a stranger. The man looked at me and said, Ah, I am just moving into this apartment building. I am on level two, but I don't have a key to get in. I thought, hmm, my neighbor on level two, which was one floor above me, had moved out and he had sold his flat just recently. Could this be my new neighbor? I had to make sure. I asked him, So when did you buy the apartment? He told me, oh, I bought the apartment about a month ago, but it has been a long time before I could move in. I asked him about the apartment. What made you like the apartment most of all? The man looked at me and said, oh, it's a beautiful building, and I also love the views out into the beautiful park across the street. Obviously, this man had been in the building, and I started to think perhaps he actually was my new neighbor. I said, yes, I do live in this building. I think I'm your neighbor. I live on the first floor, right below your new apartment. The man smiled and said, ah, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Monsieur Leghetto. You must come upstairs with me. We will have a little snack and we can get to know each other. I have the key for my apartment, just not the key to get into the building. 
he showed me a key, and it looked like one of the keys I had for my apartment. I decided to take a chance, and we went into the building. He bounded up the stairs ahead of me, which was surprising because he was a very old man. As he went up the stairs, these croissant crumbs kept falling off him. And I'm sure later in the day, little mice would make their way up the stairs following this delicious trail of crumbs. When we got to the second floor, Monsieur Le Gâteau opened up his door. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was surely not what I saw, for the room was filled with treasures that looked more like they belonged in the museum, not in a flat in central London. We walked inside and Monsieur Le Gâteau said, Let me get you some croissants and some coffee. I'll be back in a second. Have a seat. I looked around the room and thought, where can I even sit down? There's no space in here. Eventually, I cleared a little space on the couch. It had been covered in books and drawings and even some little gold statues. As I sat on the couch and looked around, I was amazed. On one side of the room was what must have been the largest crystal I had ever seen. It looked like a diamond, but there was no way that there could be a diamond that large in somebody's house. As I looked around the room more, I saw a wide variety of masks. Some looked terrifying, some looked exotic, and some looked quite mystical. They were made of wood, gold, bronze, and looked to be from different parts of the world. In another corner of the room was a little small treasure chest. It had the most locks I'd ever seen on a treasure chest and looked very, very old. I was starting to get very intrigued by this Monsieur Le Gâteau. Why did he have all these interesting things in his house? Finally, I looked behind me, and there I saw an incredible gold statue. The statue looked like a small man about the size of a book. But instead of a normal head, the head looked like the sun. I was instantly drawn to the statue as it seemed to have a life of its own and a power, almost like it was communicating with me. All of a sudden, I heard footsteps and I jumped. Monsieur Le Gâteau had appeared and he said, Ah, you've seen the sun god. That is a very powerful very, very powerful statue that I found in South America. I can tell you about it if you want, but first, let's have some coffee and some croissants. I love croissants. And sure enough, I looked over, and on a plate sat two of the biggest croissants I had ever seen. These croissants were bigger than my head. I didn't even know they could make croissants so big. I was amazed. I don't know if I could even eat one of these croissants. As I looked at Monsieur Le Gâteau, he smiled. He said, I do love croissants. I have about 12 of these a day. Some with jam, some with Nutella. They're so delicious. My jaw opened. He ate 12 of these enormous croissants Every day? How is this possible? One would be a full meal for me. One mystery had been resolved, though. I now understood 
why Monsieur Le Gâteau was covered in croissant crumbs, in his hair, in his ears, in his mustaches, on his clothes. They were everywhere. It was because he never stopped eating enormous croissants. Monsieur Le Gâteau looked at me. I wondered, what does he want to know about me? He stared at me and said, Would you like some coffee? I was not expecting that question. In fact, I was expecting a much more challenging question. I said, yes, please. I love coffee. Monsieur Le Gâteau said, do you take sugar? Sure, I said. I'll have some sugar. Monsieur Le Gâteau then pulled out a very tiny coffee cup about the size of his thumb. He proceeded to fill it almost to the top with sugar. What was this strange man doing? I didn't know what to say, but then he took out a very small pot of coffee, no bigger than his hand, and he proceeded to put drop after drop of coffee onto the sugar. When almost all the sugar had turned a brown color, he gave it to me and said, I like my coffee a little bit sweet, so I made it just how I like it. I hope you like it this way as well. I took the coffee. It was in between a solid and a liquid. It was almost like sugar mud. I took a sip, and it was delicious. I had never had this much sugar in a coffee, and all of a sudden I was feeling very, very, very excited. Monsieur Le Gâteau did not sip his coffee. He took the entire coffee in one gulp and went, Wee! I love my coffee! He then started to eat his croissant. Even now, when I think of Monsieur Le Gâteau eating his croissant, I can't believe if I actually saw what I think I saw. For his jaw opened and his teeth went almost straight. It was like his head split in half. And he took the biggest bite I have ever seen anyone take. How he fit almost an entire enormous croissant in his mouth still baffles me. But with two bites, the biggest croissant I had ever eaten were gone. Monsieur Le Gâteau was in a very good mood and gently brushed some of the croissant crumbs that were all over his body onto the floor. As I looked on the floor, I realized he'd done this many times before. For the floor was almost more croissant crumbs than it was carpet. I looked at him. I couldn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. This was the most peculiar man I had ever met, and he was now my neighbor, living directly above me. This would be a very different neighbor from any I had ever had before. But I was kind of interested. Monsieur Le Gâteau looked at me and said, I think you want to know about the sun god. Am I right? I said, yes. Could you tell me how you came about it? Monsieur Le Gâteau started. I am a very old man now, and I'm not very strong or good at exercise. But you wouldn't believe that when I was younger, I was a great explorer of this world. I've been on every continent. I've been on most rivers and lakes, I've sailed across oceans, I've climbed up mountains and got stuck in canyons. I've done a lot. One of my favorite ever expeditions was to Peru. This was years ago before there were airplanes and roads. 
and so I had to go there almost entirely on myself. I wanted to find the ancient Inca civilizations, for I am intrigued by ancient civilizations, and I believe that some of them discovered things that we do not even know. Well, I showed up in Lima, which was the capital of Peru, and I found some people that could help me. I hired some porters to help carry all the gear I would need to search for the lost Inca city. Now, the Inca lived in the mountains, and you had to go through jungles to get there. And so I knew it would be a long trip and a difficult trip to get to the lost Inca city, if it even existed. I had been reading some books, and I had an idea where the lost city was, but I did not know for sure. After two weeks in Lima, we had 27 donkeys, which we called burros, loaded with goods. I also had a team of 25 porters and two guides. We set out from Lima, and initially we could actually go on a trail that led us into the jungles. I have never seen jungles as thick as those jungles. And almost immediately, we were stopped when the trail ended. We had to start creating our own trail through the jungle. Luckily, all of the men in our team were able to grab machetes and cut a path through the jungle. It was very, very hot in the jungle, and we were very tired. And believe it or not, even though it was sunny outside, in the jungle it almost felt like nighttime. The trees and shrubs were so thick that light almost couldn't get down to where we were. After three days creating a path in the jungle, we came to a clearing. Immediately, some of the porters on our trip got very worried. And when we looked around, we noticed that one of the mountains was shaped like an eyeball. Like the eyeball of a condor looking down at us. Condors at that time were much feared, for they were birds that were quite powerful. I thought, this must be a good sign. Condors were also revered by the ancient Incas. While I was excited, many in the group were very scared. And over the next couple of days, my porters began to start a rumor that we were entering very, very mysterious and very dangerous territory. Some of the porters had nightmares, and on the third night, I heard some rustling while I was sleeping. When I woke, almost every man was gone. There was only four of us left, and our donkeys. It would be a big challenge to move forward, but I felt we were on the right route to finding the lost Inca city. We moved forward and soon found what appeared to be a very ancient trail. We still had to cut through the jungle, but under our feet there appeared to be a cobblestone road. This road was made with small stones to make it relatively smooth and flat. At the end of the seventh day, we came to an enormous canyon. As we looked up the canyon, it appeared there was another eye, this time of a puma, a very ferocious type of cat that is very dangerous and the eyes seemed to be staring down at us. We looked up this canyon, and although I had no map or no knowledge where the lost city was, I felt certain it would be 
up this canyon. We set our camp for the night, and the next day we started to explore. The moving up the canyon was tough for our animals, but we slowly did it. As we got higher, the canyon got smaller and smaller. Eventually, we got to a place where there were some downed trees. The downed trees were blocking our path, and something struck me. They didn't look natural. It looked like someone had put these trees down on purpose. But before I could say anything, one of the porters pulled the trees. As he did this, we heard a groan and the ground shook. I yelled out, It's a trap! And soon enough, we heard a shaking and a rumbling above us. I yelled to the porters, Get to the sides of the canyons and climb up! I didn't know what was coming, but I knew something was coming from above. We couldn't see it, but we could hear it. Soon, we saw it. A wall of water was coming down. I climbed up as high as I could on the canyon walls. I only had my backpack with me. I was able to drag one donkey with me up the canyon walls, for they are good climbers on rock, believe it or not. An enormous wave of water went past us. This was obviously some sort of trap. The water came close to me, but I was able to stay safe. After it all gone, I waited quite a while. I yelled out, but didn't hear any reply. I climbed down to the bottom of the canyon, and I saw nobody. It was just me and my donkey. I made my way down the canyon and eventually came upon my one guide, Pablo. Pablo looked very frightened. He had managed to save three donkeys, but he told me he didn't think any of the other porters had made it. And worse yet, he thought all the donkeys were gone. We opened the bags on our donkeys and looked at what we had. We had medicine, a little bit of food, a gun, and some bullets, and our tenting supplies. We were actually quite fortunate because we could continue our expedition if we wanted to. I asked Pablo, Pablo, do you want to continue with the expedition? I feel like we're on the right path, but it's been very dangerous already. Pablo looked at me and nodded. Yes, I do want to continue. I smiled and I said, we must be more careful. If there's been one trap, there will surely be more. Pablo agreed, and we started our route. As we made our way up the canyon, the canyon got narrower and narrower, and I looked for more traps but didn't see any. Finally, at the end of the canyon, there was an enormous wall. I didn't know how we'd get up the wall. But then Pablo shouted, Over here, I've found something. We went over and covered with vines, was a staircase, a perfect staircase that we climbed up. We took two backpacks and left the donkeys at the bottom, for the staircase was not going to be suitable for a donkey, and we climbed the stairs. I had never seen so many stairs in one place. There must have been 7,000. This was an enormous staircase, and as we went up and up, we noticed that it ended in a whole bunch of vines and shrubs, which when we finally got there looked like a dead end. But I felt for sure 
No one would build a staircase to a dead end. I pushed my body through the vines and shrubs. They were full of spiders and beetles and other insects, and I worried they might have been full of snakes as well, for South America is famous for having some of the most venomous snakes on earth. After pushing and pushing, my hand poked through to empty air. I pulled myself up, and I stood in front of something that was amazing. It was the biggest wall I had ever seen. The wall looked to go up 1,000 meters in the sky. It was obviously a human-made wall, for each stone was placed carefully, and it went as far as the eye could see to my left and to my right. I called for Pablo, and he came up, and we looked at this incredible wall. Pablo said, Monsieur Le Gâteau, I don't think we can get up this wall. Should we return? I looked at Pablo, and I said, Pablo, let's spend the night here. There must be a way up. We set up a tent and had a fire. When the moon came up, I noticed that one of the rocks seemed to be a different color. I asked Pablo about this, and I thought, could this rock be special? I got close to it, and it almost looked like I could push it. I pushed the rock, and sure enough, all of a sudden the wall started to groan and move. Before my eyes, rocks came out of the wall, each one just wide enough for two feet to go in it. I looked at Pablo and said, Pablo, there's a staircase up the wall. Pablo looked at me and said, you should go. I will stay here. When you're at the top, tell me if I should come. Good idea, I said to Pablo. And I ran up the stairs. Very quickly, I got tired going up the stairs, but I kept going. As time went on, I noticed the stairs appeared to be getting smaller. As I looked down, I realized the stairs were going back into the wall. I heard Pablo shouting. I think he had seen the same thing. I started to push myself now and went as fast as I could up these stairs. As I got near the top, the stair was no wider than two of my fingers. As I was on the second last stair, I heard a click and saw the stair retracting completely into the wall. I leaped as hard as I could and grabbed the top of the wall. The stairs were now gone. It was just me hanging from the top of the wall. My heart was beating so fast I felt it was pushing me off the wall. I was terrified. But I knew I must get through. I swung my leg up and managed to get it onto the top of the wall and haul myself up to the top of the wall. I looked from one end of the wall to the other. It was about 15 meters thick. I could yet not yet see what was on the other side. I went to the other side and looked, and I was amazed. It was a city that appeared to be entirely made of gold. There were buildings that shimmered in the evening sun. The roads appeared to be paved with gold. Everything was shiny. However, there was nobody there. And when I looked down the other side, there didn't appear to be any stairs. As it was getting late, I waved down to Pablo. I did not know if he could see me and went to sleep. I hadn't expected to be stuck on the top, and so I only had two apples in my bag left to eat 
and one small bottle of water. All night I could barely sleep, for I wondered what should I do come the morning. Should I go down to this golden city? Could I go down to the golden city? Would I be stuck up on here for the rest of my life? When the morning came, I explored the wall and walked as far as I could in both directions. And both directions, the wall ended at a very high mountain that was unclimbable. I was getting worried. There appeared to be no way down. There appeared to be nowhere to go. The wall might be where I spent the rest of my life. As I sat down, I noticed a little shimmer far away. I must have missed it when I was walking earlier, but now with the light coming in in a certain way, I went and looked. Buried in the ground appeared to be a golden square rock. I pushed on this golden square rock, and all of a sudden, it came away. And soon more and more of the rocks came away, and I looked inside, and there was a small room. The room was no bigger than a person. And at the far end of this room was a statue, a small man with a head made of gold. I looked at the statue, and something told me I must touch it, I must take it. It seemed to be talking to me, although it was saying something I couldn't understand. When I took the statue, all of a sudden, the wall shook again. I quickly climbed out of this room and looked over the side of the wall towards the Golden City. Sure enough, stairs had come out of the wall. I could get down to the lost city of gold, but immediately I started to think, would I be able to get back up? I ran to the other side of the wall and noticed stairs had also come down that could take me back to Pablo and return me to civilization. After one night on the wall, I knew I did not want to spend my life stuck in a golden city. I grabbed my pack and quickly made my way down the stairs. This time I knew the stairs would go away, quickly retracting into the wall. So I moved as quick as I could. I felt at times I was more falling down the stairs than I was walking down the stairs. And I was glad I was moving so quickly, for it seems the stairs had been slow the first time they had opened, obviously not having moved for up to thousands of years. But now the second time they were moving much quicker. And soon I was close to Pablo, shouting when there was only several fingers worth of stair left for me to go. I started to jump over stairs, going from stair and leaping over several to get to the next stairs. But I was still 50 meters in the sky when the last stair recoiled. I started to fall. I was terrified. What would happen? I did not know. As I looked down, I could see Pablo running with a bag of some sort. He threw the bag, which just happened to be filled with all of our sleeping gear, and I landed directly on it. It still hurt, but those sleeping bags saved my life. They also protected the sun god, which was beautiful. Pablo looked at me and said, You're safe. I didn't think you'd make it. I said, thank you, Pablo. I made it. I found this, and I saw the golden city. I think that is the lost city of gold of the Incas. Pablo said, we must go back and tell people about this. No, I said to Pablo, we mustn't go back and tell people about this. 
this is an important and ancient city. The Incas didn't want it to be found, for if it were found, looters would steal all of the gold and destroy this city. No, we will go back with this sun god, and I will spend the rest of my life trying to understand the message it's trying to tell me. We gathered up our four donkeys and retraced our steps, careful to avoid any traps that we may have missed on the way out. It took us 11 days to get back to Lima. And when we were there, we told no one. Pablo promised me he would never tell another human being about the lost city. And when people asked, I said, we found nothing. We got sick because of all the mosquito bites. And it was a terrible experience. After several days in Lima, I boarded a ship and returned to England. For the last 60 years, I've thought about this sun god. I still don't know what it's trying to tell me, but every time I look at it, it feels like it's trying to tell me something. I sat back and I looked at Monsieur Legato's room. I was amazed. Here was this strange old man who had had such an incredible mystery. And much like him, I had felt like the sun god had been trying to tell me something, but I didn't know what the sun god was trying to say. I looked at Monsieur Le Gâteau and I said, That is an incredible story, Monsieur Le Gâteau. Are all the treasures I see in this room from your explorations? Monsieur Le Gâteau smiled. Yes, all the treasures here are from my explorations. Come back another day, and I will tell you more about other ones of my treasures. It is so nice to have someone to share my adventures with. And next time, I will be a better host and have more than just one croissant for you. I can tell you're probably still very hungry. I looked at Mr. Ghetto and smiled. Still hungry? That's the biggest croissant I had ever eaten. Monsieur Le Gâteau's eyes seemed sleepy. I bid him farewell and walked down to my flat below his. I sat in my living room and wondered what an incredible life Monsieur Le Gâteau must have led. Soon, I could tell he was sleeping, for he was the loudest snorer I had ever heard. And I almost felt like I could feel his snores make the entire building shake. This was maybe not going to be the best neighbor I'd ever had. For if I had to listen to this type of snoring every single day, I might become very cranky from not enough sleep. Either way, I smiled, thinking of this wonderful, interesting man who now lived in the apartment above mine. This story was entirely made up. I have no idea if there ever was a sun god or a city made of gold. It's just a fun story I told my boys that they really enjoyed and asked me to put this story on a podcast so they could listen to it again and again and again. Over the coming weeks, I will share more stories of Monsieur Le Gâteau, for he's a very interesting man and has traveled all over the world. I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for listening.
Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating. This podcast and all the ideas and characters are copyrighted by myself, Richard. Bye-bye.